Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more. And we are so happy to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. And right now, we'd like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Please visit their website, Clorox Healthcare. Uh, com to learn more about keeping environments safer with Clorox Healthcare. At this time, I would like to just give a little um, hooray and background to our guest, and that's Barbara DeMon, RN, MSNCIC. Barbara DeMon has over 40 years of experience in the field of infection prevention and quality improvement. And I will let you, um, Barbara, you know what, if you wouldn't mind taking a moment just to, number one, what we welcome you to the show. And please give us a little bit of your uh, introduction. Thanks, Nancy. Uh, so you already gave away the 40 years, so they know how old I am, and that's okay. Um, I'm actually proud of the fact that I've worked in infection prevention since the late 70s. And I think what I like the most about the field of infection prevention is I, I learn something new every single day. So um, I am really delighted to be here with all of you today. Uh, my disclosure is I provide clinical consultation to Magnolia Medical, and I'm here with you today primarily to discuss a, a serious problem, which is how contaminated blood cultures end up causing antibiotic prescribes, prescriptions and that we know that antibiotics cause harm, um, you know, specifically um, C. diff. Uh, but the good news is I'm not just going to be dumping a problem on you uh, as there is a, a, a new, a relatively new, uh, innovative and highly selective and, uh, and effective uh, solution to this problem. Wonderful. Barbara, thank you so much, and we are so glad to have you on the program today. And, Barb, we hear the term laboratory stewardship a lot, but would you explain a bit more about what it means and why it contributes to whether a patient is treated with antibiotics? Sure. You know, laboratory stewardship is kind of a, it's kind of a wonky term, but it really gets to the, to the issue of, of how important it is that we order tests on patients that are likely to have what we're testing them for, uh, and that we're really mindful of how we collect the specimen, because how we collect the specimen is going to greatly determine how our laboratory partners actually interpret the, the specimen. So the quality of the specimen, and, and in this particular case that we're discussing today, uh, the blood sample is going to contribute directly to the ability of the microbiologist to actually identify bacteria that are real, uh, but not to identify bacteria that are potentially false. And this is really important because we want to be able to find pathogens, but we don't want the lab to identify bacteria that probably isn't real because the chances are the practitioner is going to utilize that information and, and treat the patient with antibiotics that they possibly don't need. Exactly. Thank you so much, Barb, for explaining that. I just want to give a little background to our listeners, a lot of family and patients. And, you know, we all ask, well, what does a blood culture tell you? 
Uh, it's done to find a bacterial infection that has spread into the blood. Uh, a lot of um, diagnoses such as meningitis, osteomyelitis, pneumonia, kidney infection, and sepsis are the leading ones. And a culture can tell the physicians what type of bacteria is causing these infections. And also if there's a fungal infection such as yeast found in the blood. So I just wanted to give that kind of background to our listeners who are not in healthcare. And Barb, I thank you for letting me do that. And, you know, we understand that blood cultures are considered the gold standard for identifying the presence of bacteria in the patient's blood. Um, Is it true or are there any other challenges that are associated with this test? I appreciate your background information, Nancy, because it's really important for listeners to be mindful of the fact that when, when you go to get a test for something like, you know, your cholesterol, your blood sugar, uh, clinicians have a, a high a trust in the result. However, with blood cultures, um, they're not, they're quite frankly, they're, they're quite frankly not great tests because um, there's a lot of things that confuse the issues, and I'll get into that in just a moment. But yes, a blood culture is the test that we use if we think a patient who comes into the hospital might have bacteria in their blood, and remember, blood should be sterile. There shouldn't be any bacteria or anything bad in our blood, uh, or is potentially septic, and a septic patient is somebody who not only has bacteria in their blood, but has got signs and symptoms, and is really quite sick. So what we do know is sepsis is the number one cause of death of patients in United States hospitals. Exactly. And September is Sepsis Awareness Month. So this is a perfect time to also talk about that. And uh, Barb, labs refer to term called blood culture contamination. Um, I was wondering, what does that exactly mean? Well, blood culture contamination, first of all, it's not it's not a fault or a judgment of the lab, and many people think that it is, but that is an incorrect statement. So what labs have to do is they have criteria to, to figure out when they look at a patient's result, whether or not it's, it's real or whether or not it might be caused by a, a skin bug, a bug that, that commonly lives on patient's skin that might actually just be kind of a normal thing and not really a pathogen. And a pathogen is a, is, is, is a germ that, that causes disease. So it's, it's really more, more directly related to the blood culture process and the fact that certain bacteria like coagulase negative staph, that grows on our skin. Most of us have that organism on the surface of our skin. And so if it grows into the blood culture, the lab has to figure out whether or not it's real or not based on criteria that they have established. And traditionally, the goal or kind of the standard that I put in quotes for labs uh, for a contamination rate is three or less than 3%. So, Barb, if labs and hospitals are considering 3% to be acceptable contamination rate, would you be okay with that? Well, I used to be, <laughs> and, and, and I say that because um, we didn't think we could do any better. Um, they're really, um, all of the things that we did to try to improve blood cultures, you know, like training and in-servicing and using better skin preps and all of that stuff, um, the, the bottom line is the blood culture collection process is so fraught with challenges, and I'll, I'll get into those in just a little bit. Um, but, but 
But now I know different. Now I have new knowledge. There is new peer-reviewed evidence. And so where I used to be okay with a 3% contamination rate, uh, I can no longer live with that because I have new knowledge and I know better. And I'll share some of that really important information with the listeners a little bit later. Okay, thanks, Barb, for explaining that. And Barb, what does the, this translate to in terms of potential impact to a patient? Well, it's huge. Um, you know, we know that if a patient is perceived to have a um, bacteria in their blood, uh, chances are the clinician is going to prescribe antibiotics. And, um, you know, so it's not, a, we know the clinicians make decisions based on the, 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 the patient's clinical presentation, like how does the patient look? It's, so it's not just a laboratory diagnosis, but but when, when a clinician is trying to make a decision about whether or not the patient truly has an infection, they're, they're going to probably err on the side of caution. You know, and, and, you know, that makes sense because, you know, if a, if a, if a patient is possibly uh, infected with an organism in their blood that could cause, you know, them to die or, or have significant injury, um, the, the chances are they're, yeah, they're going to prescribe an antibiotic. And, and so when a clinician is notified that a patient has a positive blood culture that might be real or might not be real, you know, they've got to weigh the risks and benefits and they've got to decide whether or not prescribing antibiotics, even though um, their hunch may be that, oh, this patient probably isn't really uh, infected. This is probably a contaminant, but I don't know for certain. So what's going to happen is the patient will very likely receive antibiotics. And every listener today is acutely aware of the fact that antibiotics are the direct cause of C. diff. Uh, we know that antibiotics are what makes um, a person's um, just body, uh, make, it, it makes us much more likely that we're going to uh, develop resistant infections. And we hear a lot about in the, even in the lay press, about things like MRSA and other kinds of resistant organisms. And so we know that antibiotics are a direct imp- impact and influencer on patient developing uh, resistant bugs and absolutely um, a primary reason why people develop C. diff. And so, um, and it's not just uh, infectious kinds of things. Um, we know antibiotics can cause um, kidney damage, uh, which is a serious problem. Uh, it can impact impact a patient's chance of being readmitted to the hospital uh, could potentially increase their length of stay, which is not a good thing. You know, we know that patients, um, when they're in the hospital, the longer they're in the hospital, uh, the the greater the chance that, you know, something's not going to go right and they might be exposed to some other potential harm. And Mm -hmm. so um, we know that um, how this translates really in terms of potential impact to a patient is that um, patients get antibiotics that they don't need, and that's that's a problem, and that's why we want to do everything in our power to prevent that from happening. Exactly, exactly, and thanks so much for sharing that, Barb, and we have two minutes till we pause for a commercial break, Uh, but Barb... Now, with a patient, what can happen when a false positive blood culture in a patient with a central line, say, um, they they get reported to the CDC's National Healthcare Safety Network? Um, That can be a problem, couldn't it? 
Yeah, it's a it's a big problem in more ways than one, Nancy. Um, so if somebody has a central line and they have a blood culture and it's considered to be positive, then they technically have what we call a CLAPSI, a central line associated bloodstream infection. And as you said, Nancy, this is a reportable event. It needs to be reported to NHSN, which is part of the CDC database. And why this is important is that hospitals, number one, are judged publicly. This is publicly reported data that any anybody can go and access and look at. So it's a way that we potentially judge our hospitals and their care. Uh, we also know that it carries a financial penalty so that if, if a pay, if, if a CLAPSI is reported, uh, CMS has a lot of different rules about how they reimburse patients, uh, excuse me, how they reimburse hospitals. Uh, and if, and if there are events such as CLAPSIs that are considered avoidable, preventable events, then the hospitals are not going to get the reimbursement. So it really comes down to a financial hit. And then from the patient's standpoint, the patient is uh, possibly going to have a new central line place. They may remove the old one and put a new one in, and that's a big deal because that's, that's an invasive procedure, uh, not something that anybody wants to go through if they don't have to. Uh, and they're also going to be exposed, most importantly, to extensive antibiotics that are potentially avoidable. So it's really a, uh, it's a very big deal. Exactly. And it is, and it happens every day. And we know about that. And at this time, Barb, uh, we are going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing better blood cultures, uh, better blood culture tests, better patient care, fewer antibiotics, and less C. difficile infections with our special guest, Barbara Debon. Please stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? washed your hands. Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Join us on Saturday, November 14th at 8 a.m. Eastern Time for the 8th Annual International C. diff Virtual Conference and Health Expo. For details and to register, please visit cdiff2020.com. Again, that's cdiff2020.com. Or contact the C. diff Foundation at 727-205-3922. We look forward to meeting you online on November 14th and meeting you in person in November 2021 in Boston, Massachusetts at the Hilton Boston Logan Airport Hotel. 
If you missed the live broadcast of C. Diff Scores and more, we invite you to listen at your leisure. In addition to the on-demand show on Voice America Health and Wellness, find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Take us with you worldwide. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff spores and more. We're so happy to have you joining us today. And our special guest is Barbara Debon, RN MSNCIC, here to discuss better blood culture test equal better patient care, fewer antibiotics, and less C. difficile infections. At this time, I'd like to welcome Barbara back to the show. Welcome back, Barbara. Thank you, Nancy. Um, so what I'd like to do is, uh, is to outline kind of the downstream effect of false positive blood culture results and speak a little bit about um, the actual technique and, and, and what, a, what a blood culture collection looks like. So, okay. so first of all, it starts with a scavenger hunt. So, that, so the healthcare providers need to go and collect all the equipment. There's a lot of stuff. You've got to get the bottles, the needles, the skin antisepsis, the gloves, a whole bunch of stuff uh, which can take a lot of time. And putting the stuff together can actually be problematic because sometimes when we put things together, we don't have the best technique. So that's, that's how it starts. And then we do a lot of training and education on best practices for how to clean the patient's skin. You know, we used to go in um, circles uh, with, the divide, with, the, with the prep, and now we go back and forth. Um, there's issues around, like, how long the solution has to stay wet on the patient's skin, how much time it actually takes for it to dry. And then here's where it gets fun and exciting. So here, here is where this needle now, we've got this hollow bore needle. So think about a hollow bore needle is kind of like a, think about a hose, only it's a lot smaller, or a straw is even a better example, but much, much smaller than that. So you take this, you take this sharp needle, you stick it through the skin, and when you do that, because the needle is hollow, it's likely to pick up a skin plug, you know, the skin that is actually, that's actually passed through, uh, and then when the needle is underneath the skin layer, it gets exposed to a lot of other germs and debris and all the, all the germy critters that live underneath the layer of the skin. And so what happens is the blood sample, uh, including all the, the skin plugs and all the other hitchhiking critters, that blood then goes into the blood color bottle. So even though we clean the skin as good as we can, um, there is no way we can remove all the bacteria from a person's skin. Uh, plus, we know that the bacteria live underneath the skin layer. Okay. And Barbara, it sounds like there must be a way to collect the blood that is the most contaminated and prevent it from going into the culture bottles, aren't there? Well, actually, there is, and, and, and in the very beginning of my opening comments, um, I, I told you all I wasn't going to just dump a problem, that I was actually going to propose a solution, and yes, there is a solution. Uh, the device is called SteriPath, and it does exactly that. So what this, what this device does is it's, it's, a ta- it's a little device, a little plastic capsule that's attached to the needle that we use to, to, to enter the patient's vein, and what this device does is it, is it pulls off 
the early part of the blood sample. So it takes this early amount of blood and it puts it into this little chamber that just stays there and it keeps that early part of blood from going into the blood culture bottle. And that is where there's the most amount of bacteria that I just described is likely to be, is in that first amount of blood. Okay, and Barb, how much blood is diverted away from that, and why was the amount of blood identified as optimal? Well, Nancy, that's a really great question because it's, it's not, it was not an arbitrary thing. It was an absolute, um, highly studied um, uh, thing where, where Dr. Patton determined, and, and his publication was really a pivotal um, part of the, and his discovery of this device, is that um, what, what we really need is to capture between one and a half to two milliliters of blood. This is kind of the sweet spot. This is where the most amount of contaminants live. So we want to get rid of those and put those into a little chamber so that that blood doesn't go into the blood culture bottle. Um, But the goal is you have to balance the removal of the contaminants, but you still want to have confidence that if the patient truly does have bacteria, that you will actually find that. So it's, it's not like, well, let's just get more blood and divert that. You want to make sure that your positive predictive value is still um, very, very high. So it's, it's, it's not an arbitrary amount. It's been highly studied. Wonderful. And that's really great information, Barb. We appreciate that. And right now, some of our listeners might be thinking, but isn't there just, you know, a way to use waste tubes and draw some blood and discard it? Well, you know, they're thinking what I did actually back in the 70s when I was a nurse at the bedside. And yeah, we thought we were doing the, you know, the best thing we had available to us, which is, is to, is to, to do your vena puncture to actually get the needle into the patient's vein and then just take typically like a little red top and, you know, kind of draw off some waste, you know, some blood and, you know, and then just put that, you know, dispose of that in a sharps container. And, and, and that was all we had back then. And it was all we had up until relatively recently. But um, in in studies, in peer-reviewed literature, um, this approach has only demonstrated a modest uh, reduction in blood culture contamination, and it's never been shown to be sustainable. So the the important thing to remember, anyone that's ever drawn blood knows that those little blood culture bottles, those little blood uh, culture tubes, the tops of them are are virtually impossible to really get clean. You know, they're nooks and crannies, and even if you clean them, there's the chances are there's going to be still some kind of contamination on them. And then where it gets even worse, and and the potential is that that the waste tube uh, technology might make things worse, is there are these little sheathed inoculation needles, the needles that actually are, are used to transfer the blood. If one of those gets contaminated then what's going to happen is both bottles that are obtained are going to grow the same bug. And that's where the problem lies because then the clinicians are going to interpret the result as being real and not contaminated. So sometimes we try to do things that make things better uh, and they do in fact make things worse. Exactly. And Barb, this sounds really great for for phlebotomists. Oh, yeah, I'll say that twice fast. Uh, but does this uh, <laughs> process work for nurses who want to collect the blood cultures from, say, new IV starts? 
Well, yes. Um, I think for me as a nurse, uh, one of the most uh, exciting things about this technology is not only does it work for but it works for nurses who have started an IV who also need to draw a blood culture. So let me just kind of talk you all through this. So when you think about it, the, the, um, when, you're, when a patient comes into the emergency department and we think they have uh, sepsis, we think that they're sick and they've got bacteria in their blood, um, the nurse is going to start two IVs, you know, one in one arm and one in the other arm. So that's the, that is the kind of the gold standard for how we approach patients that we think might be septic. So we've got two IVs now started. And so what's really nice about the technology is that now, rather than what we would have had to have done in the past was to start two IVs, and then to draw two peripheral, two peripheral um, uh, vena punctures. So basically stick in the patient four times. You know, you've got an IV in one arm, IV in the other arm, and now I'm going to have to draw a blood culture from one arm and a blood culture from the other arm. So anybody who's doing any calculations right now is thinking, oh, wait a minute. So instead of four sticks, the patient has two sticks. Well, you know, that, sh- that sure sounds like a win-win. And, uh, of course, it, it really, really is a win-win. It's, again, this is not from existing peripheral IVs. Um, you would never uh, draw a specimen from an IV that was already in place. But for a fresh IV start, when the patient um, has their IV started, the blood cultures can be drawn directly from that line before they attach the IV tubing. So it's, it's really, uh, it really works so nicely uh, in many, many ways uh, in terms of just efficiency. That sounds great, Barb. And, you know, we're four minutes from going to our next commercial break. And before we go to break, can you explain to our global listeners and the benefits to the healthcare providers uh, working, such as the nurses in the emergency department, or to the patient experience? Well, the benefits to, to workers, especially workers in the emergency department and the patient, are enormous. So let, let me address the, the healthcare worker um, benefits first. Um, first of all, and, you know, right now there's, there's absolutely no question that um, emergency rooms are seeing uh, really sick patients. Um, you know, we're living in the midst of a pandemic. We know that hospitals are evaluating patients and are doing assessments of them when they're in the emergency department. And so anything we can do to improve the process of how we collect any kind of samples is good. So think about it. We, we don't want our lab to be spending time um, reworking contaminated specimens. We want to send our lab specimens that are as, as good as they possibly can be so that they don't have to do things over and waste time and waste money and be less efficient uh, with that. And so the important thing is for the healthcare worker, too, is, you know, sometimes we forget that you know, there's such focus on patient safety that, you know, healthcare worker safety is still uh, a really, really important thing. And sharps injuries, you know, needle stick injuries are a real and present danger. So if I'm a healthcare worker, if I'm a nurse in the emergency department and I am going to start an IV 
and then uh, and then another IV, and then I have two less needles that I have to handle. Um, you know that translates to a fifty percent reduction in the personal risk to me. So, and it also just makes it more efficient. You know, especially with our our dealings with COVID now. Um, a term that I hear a lot uh, from my healthcare uh, worker friends is that they're trying really hard to bundle care, and that means that they want to be more efficient. So, for example, if a nurse is starting two IVs, what what might have happened in the past is then the phlebotomist comes and draws the blood cultures. Well, we are not we're not doing it that way anymore. We're trying to bundle our care or cluster our care so there's less people involved in providing care. You know, preserving our uh, exposures and all that good stuff. So it's more efficient and it saves time. In terms of the patient, I have yet to meet a patient who enjoys getting stuck with needles. I have never heard anybody saying, oh, that's my favorite part about being in the hospital is they stick me with needles. So for the patient, if we can stick them twice instead of four times, it's a win. Exactly. And that's with blood cultures. It's just more than one stick. And a lot of uh, patients forget about that and families. Um, But it's really great information. Barb, thank you so much for sharing that. At this time, we're going to pause for a commercial break already. When we return, we will, uh, after these messages, we will continue discussing better blood culture tests equal better patient care, fewer antibiotics, and less C. diff infections with our special guest, Barbara Debon. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products, EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes, trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the CDF Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. 
Welcome back to Cedar Spores and More, and thank you so much for joining us today. We have our special guest, Barbara Devon, here with us, who has been discussing better blood culture tests equal better patient care, fewer antibiotics, and less C. diff infections. At this time, I'd like to welcome Barbara back to the show. Welcome back, Barbara. Thanks, Nancy. So this is, this is where we're going to get to the good stuff, because this is where we're going to get to the studies. Because, you know, sometimes, sometimes things sound like a great idea, but, you know, there's no evidence, and there's nothing that can really um, show with, with confidence that something works. So okay. with, with this technology, with SteriPath, there are currently 17 uh, studies slash manuscripts um, th- five, of, five of the 17 studies have been peer-reviewed and published, and the other dozen have either, they're either in the process of being uh, written up and submitted for publication, or they've been presentations at um, medical conferences. So um, these 17 studies support not only the clinical benefits, but the, the cost-effectiveness. Wonderful. And Barbara, can you walk us through the first peer-reviewed study that evaluated the SteriPath product? I'd love to. So, um, so Dr. Ruff from the University of Nebraska designed this elegant study, and this is back, it was published in 2017. So remember, remember I described that when we do blood cultures, we take a blood culture from one arm and then a blood culture from the other arm. And the bottom line, and I think this is really important for listeners to be uh, reminded of, is that you know we do two. We do two blood cultures because we, quite frankly, can't trust the results of one because of all the confusing issues related to potential contamination. So what Dr. Rupp did in his setting is they had phlebotomists trained to draw blood culture from one patient using their standard technique, just their regular blood culture needles and all the stuff that they're used to using, and then one culture from the other arm using the same technique but using the device SteriPath that diverts the one and a half to two milliliters of blood, that, that yucky stuff that comes out of the patient in the very beginning. So what was really nice about this study is the patients served as their own control. They were, the, the, the phlebotomists were drawing blood from the same patient with the same skin, the same skin flora. So it was a really, really highly, um, a really nicely designed study. And again, we, we draw two blood cultures from two different sites because, you know, quite frankly, we don't, we don't have confidence in the reliability of a single test. And, and that's, that's just an important distinction. So, so what they did is, is prior to this study, the, this hospital's blood culture contamination rate was 2.6%, which, you know, some people might think, oh, well, they're below 3%, so they're fine. But I hope that I have convinced you otherwise. So their, their baseline blood culture contamination rate was 26 so during the study period, and they did this, they did this study for a year, so it was a sustainable um, study, their blood culture rates were very different when they were drawn from the conventional way versus with the SteriPath arm. So when they looked at their rates for the conventional way, just the way that they've always done it, was they got it down to 1.8%. However, the blood culture rates for with the, with the arm of the SteriPath arm was 0.2%. So a significant difference in contamination with the device that sequestered and diverted and 
prevented the contaminated part of the patient's blood from going into the blood culture bottle. But hang on, because this is where it gets really interesting. So after a year, they said, well, what would happen if we stopped the trial? And we used the same phlebotomist, the same highly skilled trained phlebotomist, using the same technique, but we take the SteriPath device away. And let's just see what happens. You know, maybe, maybe it's not the device. Maybe we've got these people so good now that they can go ahead and, um, and achieve really low contamination rates without the device. Well, that's not what they discovered. In fact, their contamination rate after they took away the SteriPath device went up to higher than it was at baseline. Baseline was 2.6 and their new blood culture contamination rate was 2.8. So what does this tell us? It really tells us that this technology is an engineering control. It engineers out the problem. And as an infection preventionist, you know, we, we spend so much time focusing on people and human behavior and technique. And, oh, let's just do another in-service. People just, it'll do the right thing if we just teach them how to do the right thing. And the bottom line is people do matter and people do contribute greatly to the outcomes of patients, but the bottom line is sometimes human beings cannot fix the problem. And I think the fact that this, this study demonstrated that these were the same phlebotomists that were doing the study during the, during the study where they were comparing the two, the two approaches and then also doing it after, same people, same technique. Um, so it wasn't about the people, it was about the process. That's amazing. That really is. And thank you so much for sharing that incredible validated study. Um, love the, uh, you know, the outcome and showing um, using the SteriPath device versus using no device and how the infection rate went up to 2.8, the contamination rate. It's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Barb. And, you know, Barb, can you tell us more about how this technology can be used in other ways um, outside of venipuncture? Yeah, Nancy, so I briefly mentioned, I just want to underscore this again because it's so critically important, um, is that um, the stud- uh, one of the published studies in particular did a beautiful job demonstrating the impact of this um, on fresh IV starts. And I, I underscore this because... Um, this is where I think we're going to really get to see major differences is, is when nurses are starting IVs that they can draw blood um, f- directly from them uh, and greatly reduce their, um, their contamination rates. And this just gets to everything. This is such a positive win-win for everybody. The nurses, too, the nurses want to be efficient. The nurses don't want to have to do an extra step if, if they don't have to. Um, and I want to just mention here um, one, of the, one of the really nice features about the SteriPath technology is that when the, when the nurse, and it, it, you'll, I'll give you the information where you can go to their website and, and actually see the device in action. But how it works is, is a nurse gently squeezes this little plastic handle thingy. I don't even know it's a thingy. And they, and they gently squeeze on it. And what that does is it, it provides some pressure. It actually provides pressure that helps pull the blood out of the patient, which is really important because when patients are in the emergency room and they're probably septic, um, their blood pressure is really, really low. So it's not easy. You know, there's that old term. It's like getting blood out of a rock. It's not easy to get blood out of somebody who's got a really low blood pressure. But the 
other thing I want to underscore about the device is that it's designed so that the nurse who's in a hurry can't rush the process. It will not allow you to transfer blood into the blood culture bottle until you have removed that one and a half to two milliliters of blood. So it, it kind of, it's a, it's a nice um, protection. And, and I'm a nurse, so I can say this. And I, I know that there have been many times in my career where I'm thinking, oh, I don't have time for this. I've got to hurry this up. I've got so many other things to do. Um, and this technology will not let us. It, would, it, doesn't, it doesn't let us do the wrong thing. It helps us do the right thing. Exactly. Thank you so much, Barb, for explaining that, too. And, Barb, can you explain how the SteriPath impacts a hospital's reportable CLABSI, which is central line-associated bloodstream infection rate? And I know everybody would really appreciate to learn more about this. Yeah, so that's a that's a great question, and um, there you know there have been studies. There was a great survey um, that Bob Garcia conducted years ago, uh, where he polled infection preventionists throughout the country, and discovered that uh, that close to half of them uh, believed that they had likely reported a CLABSI to NHSN that wasn't real, that was probably a contaminant. And so that's a really important uh, number to keep in mind. So it's really had a dramatic impact. Um, it's, under, it's under manuscript development uh, and hopefully will be submitted soon for publication. But Stanford Health conducted a trial, and one of the things that they were really focused on was reducing their, uh, their CLABSI rates. And so because of the technology and because of using SteriPath on patients who had a central line, they eliminated their CLABSI rate. They had zero as a result of using the technology. So they just validated and reinforced the fact that that a lot of patients with central lines, when we do send blood cultures, um, they're not, it's not real. It's just due to contamination. So what this translates, and I mentioned this earlier, but I'll just underscore it, is that it really impacts the hospital's bottom line. You know, we, we know they, hospitals get uh, reimbursed um, because, with money uh, when, they, when they don't have these, these events happening. So there's a lot of incentive for hospitals to not um, have these events occur. Uh, and it really just, uh, it's a sense of pride. You know, hospitals are very proud of, of their rates. And, and ultimately, you know, we don't, we don't want our patients to, um, to have to, you know, go through another um, insertion of a central line if it's, not, if it's not, you know, really required. So a lot of wins for everybody. Exactly. And Barbara, two minutes from going to our next commercial break, uh, but we want to know that we understand that the FDA clears products for use. Is SteriPath an FDA cleared product? Uh, yes. It not only is it an FDA cleared product, but it is the only FDA cleared device that is indicated to reduce blood culture contamination. So that's a really important distinction. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Uh right before we go to break. It sounds like 3% blood culture contamination rate is a dated goal. Are there any chances we will move the goal line? Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, the three percent blood blood culture contamination rate, I say, is way past its enjoy by date. I mean, we need to bury this because it is. It used to be okay because we didn't have any options, but we have new data, we have new knowledge, and we know that we must think differently. Magnolia Medical they have a mission to zero program that's in line with this. That the knowledge that we really can no longer accept this wimpy goal. Um, there is a consensus 
panel that is working on establishing uh, a lower rate. Uh, and the, the bottom line is there is nothing about a 3% contamination rate that is good for the patient. We agree with you. Absolutely. And Bob, thanks so much for sharing all this, you know, extensive and important information with our global listeners. At this time, we are going to pause for a commercial break. We'll return after these messages with uh, our special guest, Barbara DeBong, and discussing better blood culture tests equal better patient care, fewer antibiotics, and less C. difficile infections. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. To help support the C. diff foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Join us on Saturday, November 14th at 8 a.m. Eastern Time for the 8th Annual International C. diff Virtual Conference and Health Expo. For details and to register, please visit cdiff2020.com. Again, that's cdiff2020.com. Or contact the C. diff Foundation at 727-205-3922. We look forward to meeting you online on November 14th and meeting you in person in November 2021 in Boston, Massachusetts at the Hilton Boston Logan Airport Hotel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff, spores, and more. And it's a pleasure to have our special guest, Barbara Devon here, who's been discussing better blood culture tests, equal better patient care, fewer antibiotics, and less C. difficile infections. Barbara, thank you so much, and welcome back to the program. Thanks, Nancy. I I know that I have presented a lot of information in a very short period of time, uh, and I will be giving you uh, additional information that you can go and and learn more and more and more about this about this technology. I hopefully hopefully I've set the stage and created some excitement for uh, thinking a lot differently about how we have traditionally approached blood culture contamination. Uh, And it's really uh, as a reminder, clinicians make important decisions all the time, and let's make it easier for them. Let's not confuse the issue, and and whatever we can do to make blood cultures more reliable are virtually going to reduce the chance that a patient is going to get an antibiotic that they don't need. 
Absolutely. And Barbara, if you wouldn't mind taking a few minutes to just summarize for the listeners how a device that collects blood for culturing can potentially impact antibiotic prescribing practices and the harm that results from antibiotics. Yeah, so it's really, uh, it's, it's a cause and effect. You know, I would consider this, this um, SteriPath device that it directly impacts antibiotic stewardship because clinicians are going to make decisions based on the, the lab result, um, and if the lab result is accurate, less antibiotics are going to be used. That's wonderful, and it makes a lot of sense exactly. And, Barb, are there any published studies to show that improved blood culture's results will directly impact C. difficile? Well, there are certainly many, many, many studies that make the connection between antibiotics and C. diff. We, you know, every listener today knows that. So we know that antibiotics are a direct cause of C. diff infection. Uh, we also know that reducing the, the, the risk, of, actually reducing the use of, of high risk, the broad spectrum, you know, the big gun antibiotics, if we could, if we could reduce the use of those by 30%, the prediction is we could lower... Um, C. difficile infection rates by 26%. So again, a real cause and effect analogy. And uh, important thing too is that, you know, although people think, oh, I'm on antibiotics, I was just a short dose, I only had a couple of doses or two days, not a big deal. Uh, the important thing is that even though, you know, longer duration of antibiotics is, is definitely associated with an increased risk of CDI or C. difficile infection, you know, even a single dose of an antibiotic uh, can increase a patient's risk for C. diff. So it's not just um, preventing large doses of antibiotics, but it's really about uh, eliminating even that one or two doses because they can all add up to make a difference. And then there's a study, there's a 2019 study, and again, I'll give you a link where you can get all of the information about these studies, was published in the Journal of Hospital Infection, and what it proposed, and this is based on kind of a medium-sized hospital, 250 to 400 beds, um, that that using SteriPath would actually prevent 34 healthcare-associated conditions, and that's a lot. Uh, and of these, um, three of them would be C. difficile infections. So it would be like three patients that would not develop C. diff as a result of receiving antibiotics that they didn't need. You know, and if you're one of those three people or that one of those three people is your family member, uh, you know, that's a really, really big deal. Yes, it is. Absolutely it is. And thank you, Barb. And do you have any hopes for a new standard for blood culture contamination so that the 3% is no longer considered acceptable? Nancy, I'm actually more than hopeful. Um, I am very excited that a highly distinguished group of clinicians came together Uh, developed a consensus panel, and they have put together a really nice outline and proposal, and their proposal is that the new universal threshold uh, needs to be 1% or less. And this is really a a huge, huge shift from 3% to 1%. And again, this is all based on new knowledge. You know, we didn't think we could avoid or prevent these from happening. Now we know better. We can no longer accept 3% percent as as a good goal again there's nothing about three percent that's good for the patient yeah absolutely barb we agree with you and and barb um does steripath technology impact you as an infection preventionist 
So I've already mentioned the impact that it has on reportable collapses, and that's, that's a really important thing for infection preventionists. Um, we take great pride uh, in, in our hospital reportable rates. And, uh, you know, of course, it's never a person's fault, but we, we do take it very personally. Infection preventionists are very proud of their work and very proud of the work that, that their staff do. And so reporting a collapse, especially when you know that it's probably not real, is extremely disheartening. And it just really inspires me and it reinforces the fact that, you know, we, we want the best people in our hospitals and we all, you know, we all believe that we have them, but the bottom line is education and training of staff is important, but alone just cannot solve the problem. That's so true, Barb. And Barb, we are three minutes away from closing the program. And can you, at this time, highlight some key points you would like our global listeners to take away with them today? I sure would love to do that, Nancy. What I I hope that I have um, explained is that um, we we have the opportunity to make a big difference. We have an opportunity to think really differently about the old way of obtaining blood cultures and why that old way of containing blood, of, of obtaining blood cultures is really is really outdated. You know, we know now that that first one and a half to two milliliters of blood that we pull out of a patient's vein is highly likely to be teeming with critters, all kinds of germs that live on the skin and under the skin. And now that we know that we can virtually eliminate those uh, and, and increase the chance that a patient is going to have a, um, a, a result that's accurate, that we're going to know that if this, if this patient's blood culture is positive, that by golly, we know for sure this is real, um, that's a win-win for the patient. And it's also a win-win for our microbiology partners who take great pride in their work and want to be able to report what's real and not report what's not real. And then certainly for nurses who are on the front line to be more efficient and to be able to cluster and, and, and bundle their IV starts with their blood culture obtaining. Uh, it really truly is a, um, a change. It's a real, real major shift. And I hope that the listeners today uh, are thinking a lot differently than they were when we first got started today. Exactly. Thank you so much, Barbara. Barbara, this time, uh, would you mind giving uh, our global listeners the links about the studies and also how they can uh, virtually eliminating blood con- culture contamination uh, learn more about that on uh, your website? So, so the website that I'm going to refer to you is Magnolia Medical's website. And, and as a reminder, I am a cons- clinical consultant to the company. I'm not an employee of the company, but I am proud to, uh, to refer you to their website, which is www.magnolia-medical.com. That's the website. And their email is info at magnolia-medical.com. And you'll find all the studies and you can request additional information. You can see a little video and see how this actually works. It's really hard to describe, but once you actually visualize and you see how this device works, um, I think you'll, coll- you'll connect the dots uh, a lot better than I was able to do uh, in this virtual setting without having any kind of visual aids and just having to talk you through it. 
Well, Barbara, we thank you so much, and thank you for providing all this information with us today on Seed of Spores and More. It's been Barbara Debon that has been here discussing better blood culture tests, uh, equal better patient care, fewer antibiotics, and less C. difficile infections. Before we close the show today, we would like to thank our Members, our members of the C. diff Foundation would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Uh, please visit their website at www.cloroxhealthcare.com and learn more about the environmental safety they're providing. We'd also like to acknowledge all the organizations around the globe dedicated to improving health through research and development, uh, addressing C. diff infection prevention treatments, uh, environmental safety, gut microbiome, clinical trials, and diagnostics. Learn more about all of these wonderful projects going on on our website, cdifffoundation.org. Help them to help you to help others. We'd also like to thank Series Therapeutics for being the diamond sponsor of this year's annual international C. diff conference, virtual conference, and health expo taking place November 14th. Please learn about the conference and register online at the cdifffoundation.org website. I'm your host, Nancy Corella, with our reminder... None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We'll be right back. 